We have all heard it said that timing is everything, and it's certainly the case when it comes to punchlines. Oftentimes it's the case when it comes to opportunities, and it certainly is also true when it comes to understanding how to live a successful Christian life. Timing is everything. Maybe not everything, but close to it. And I say that because if we don't understand basic things about timing and the Christian life and Christianity and Christ, we are going to be very, very spiritually confused. We're not going to live successful, Christ-honoring, joyous lives if we don't understand some basic things about timing. In that sense, timing is everything. Let me explain what I mean. The Bible says that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So in time and space, we've even been learning in 1 Peter, the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, became one of us, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, rose again from the dead on behalf of everyone who would ever believe. All of that happened, and it relates to time. It happened in time and in space. Right now, another time indicator, right now, if you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven. You have been reconciled to God. You have been adopted into His family. First uh, Peter 3 says you, you have been brought to God. So all of those are present realities. Forgiven, reconciled, saved, justified, sanctified. You can do all the ides you'd like to do. Those are present realities in at this time in your life. But at this time right now, you are still struggling. In the future awaits you what the Bible says is glorification. When you don't struggle with sin anymore, when those around you don't struggle with sin anymore, when you've been resurrected, no more tears, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death, no more injustice. The Bible teaches that that all happens. It's sure to happen in your life if you're a Christian, but it doesn't happen now. It happens in the future when Christ returns. I realize these are super basic things, but they are easily misunderstood and it leads to all kinds of trouble in our lives. Let me put it a different way. The Bible is so clear about what's going to happen in your future if you're a Christian. Sometimes it even speaks of it in the past tense. But without any question, when you read the New Testament, those things have not happened until Christ, they, they do not happen until Christ returns. First John teaches that when we see Christ, we'll be made like Him. And if we forget that those things are ours, we're going to be worried. Or if we pretend like those things have already happened now, we're going to be very, very disappointed and very, very confused. So we've got to understand basic things about timing. And First Peter, which is the book we're studying, we're probably going to wrap it up today. Probably. Probably not is what that means. But First Peter's been a lot about timing. In this present time, we're suffering. We're exiled. Oh, yes, First Peter 1 says we're elect. We have all the blessings and benefits. But right now, we've been exiled. We're not in our ultimate home. We're not in heaven, if you will. We're not in the new Jerusalem, if you will. And so we've got to understand how to navigate this in-between time. We are elect in Christ, chapter 1, verse 1. But chapter 1, verse 1, we're exiled. 
And it's hard to live in this in-between time, but if we don't understand that we're living in the in-between time, we're going to be confused, confusing, overly disappointed, and not looking for Christ to return. So today we're going to talk about timing in chapter 5. Really, it's a good way to sum up the whole book. But in chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 5 and following, and the outline will be four specifics about timing that will help you live your life at this time. Four specifics about timing that will help you live your life now, at this time. Let's go ahead and read the text. Beginning in chapter 5, verse 5. It says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. I think that's part of the previous conversation. So we're going to pick it up halfway through verse 5. I know, inconvenient, but we added the paragraph breaks and verse breaks for convenience. So 5b, that doesn't have a ring to it, does it? We're going to start in chapter 5, verse 5b. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring Lion seeking someone to devour? Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered, notice the timing references again and again, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we're going to stop there. Four specifics about timing that's going to help you, that will help you at this time. And it's really a a good way to summarize the whole book. Life is hard. Life is complicated. Life is confusing. Life is filled with suffering. How do we navigate? those of us who are in Christ with such great promises. Number one, the first specific about time, this is the time for humility with others. This is the time to prioritize humility with others. And think in terms of we're dealing with one another as Christians and none of us are perfected. We're guaranteed perfection. We're guaranteed sinlessness. But none of us have yet been glorified, so it's hard Because I want to give people only what they deserve. And if I know them very well, they don't deserve very much. And neither do I. In this in-between time, we have to prioritize humility toward one another. Keep that in mind. Let's look at the verse again. Clothe yourselves, all of you. So it's universal regardless of your status. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And he gives the reason why. For God opposes. God stands against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter your status. And literally, he's he's saying, you put on a servant's apron. Okay, In the old world, if you're a servant... You're going to put on an apron and you're going to do servitude. You're going to do servant kind of work. And so that's the image. So I'm supposed to have humility toward you and not see myself as better than you. 
and you're supposed to not see yourself as better than me. As a matter of fact, you do this action, you put on the servant's apron. You're going to do menial work. Now, this is significant in light of our whole, whole book because in First Peter, we're, we're, we're heirs. If we've trusted in Jesus, we're, we're part of the family. We're the favored ones. We're part of the greatest family ever. We are in the elite of elite families. And in Christ is grand and glorious. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. There is no greater place of exaltation than, than, than He holds and we're His brothers and sisters by faith. It's counterintuitive to then say, I need to put on the apron of a slave and serve you. In one sense. But it's not counterintuitive given the fact that we are not only trusting in Jesus to become part of the family, we're actually also called to imitate Him in First Peter. And what did the Lord Jesus Christ do? The Lord Jesus Christ humbled Himself even by becoming a human being and He came here not to be served, but to serve. And the ultimate act of service, even giving His life, the Bible says, is a ransom for many. And remember, His exaltation, like in Philippians comes after his great self-humiliation. And so here we are as Christians. We, gotta, we have to understand the timing. Christ humbled himself and he is highly exalted, name above all names, King of kings and Lord of lords. But as Christians who want to follow him because of what he's done for us, we want to be like him and we want to humble ourselves. Jesus washing the disciples' feet Putting on the apron of a slave is what he did. A servant. Well, we want to be like Christ. And so what do we want to do in this weird in-between time when we're not yet exalted and glorified? We want to follow in his footsteps and we want to find ourselves humbling ourselves and serving each other. That's counterintuitive, right? Because again, if we spend enough time with each other, we know that no one really deserves to be served. Soon as they measure up to my standards, then I might, is how we could think. I even want to go back to timing and think, I'm actually dealing with people who are co-heirs. If I look at them in Christ, as in united to Christ, maybe it's easier. In fact, it is easier instead of looking at them in their unglorified status. Just as a tip. It's kind of weird, isn't it, to think about, about other Christians who struggle with sin, especially when you know them well, to know enough about their struggles, and to think that they will be as exalted and as glorified spiritual equals as the greatest hero of the faith you can imagine. Think about that. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you really like Paul a lot. Maybe you like Peter a lot. Maybe you like John a lot. Maybe you like Martha a lot. Maybe you like Esther a lot. Wh whatever, whatever kind of Bible hero you think of and you think they, 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 they really had it going on. And then you think about the worst Christian you know. Hopefully it's not me. 
I'm the worst Christian I know. You think about the worst Christian you know and you think spiritual equals. You think, how could that be? Well, it can be because both of them are benefiting from righteousness outside of themselves. It's Christ. That, that's not in my notes. It's just a free thought. You don't have to pay extra for it. But it, it, it helps me to think about other Christians more properly. Because I tend to think that, that Christian deserves my humble service and help, but that other Christian doesn't deserve it. In reality, none of them deserve it, but I'm trying to imitate Christ in this time. Yes, Christ is exalted. Yes, you will be exalted because of your being united to Christ. But that hasn't happened yet for you or for others. I've got to have this in my mind. Otherwise, I'm going to think in terms of fair and deserving. Or I'm going to be thinking in terms of, well, if they meet my needs. Put on the apron of a servant and you will have a successful Christian life during this awkward time. Just a great thing for you to remember. I want to tell other people that when they say, well, my needs aren't being met. I want to say, put on the apron of a servant. And why don't you think about meeting someone else's needs? But I need to tell that to myself. Put on the apron of a servant and do something for someone else. Why? Because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. It's a great promise tied to it. So here we are in the struggle life, hard life, Put on the apron of a servant and it will honor God and he will give you grace. Let's move on to another thing about timing that's important. Uh, this is the time for humility before God. Not just humility with others, but humility before God. And I realize that's always the case. It's always the right to be humble before God, but he's going to tie it to the here and now. During this awkward, weird time where we're elect exiles, it's a, a time for a special kind of humility before God. Let's go ahead and look what it says in verse 6. I think you'll find this helpful. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Mighty hand of God, some form of that, that description is borrowed from the Exodus account. The mighty hand of God, the mighty hand of God. It's worded a little bit differently at different times, but it's the essential same thing. The mighty hand of God. What does the mighty hand of God do during that exodus? What's it looking for? Deliverance, bringing the people to, to, to go into the promised land. And since Peter's using all of that kind of verbiage, no doubt he's using that on purpose too. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, the God who is for you to deliver you ultimately into the new Jerusalem so you're not in exile anymore. And so humble yourself before Him. He's that God. He's that kind of God. He's that powerful God. Hum humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, that which is not now, by the way, He may exalt you. And, and everything we've learned so far in First Peter, He will exalt you in Christ because you're united to Christ at the proper time. And again, the thread throughout First Peter has been about this, this future glory, this future return, this anticipation. It's not the now time, it's the coming time when Christ returns. That's the proper time. So living humbly now before our God, like, 
listening to him and paying attention when he says, serve other people with the apron of a servant. Okay, God, I will do that. I'm humbling myself before you. Understanding the time, humbling myself before him. Why? Because he's powerful for his people to deliver his people. So I can, I can have confidence in him even during the hard times. I'm humbling myself. I'm taking him at his, at his word. If I'm in Christ, I will be resurrected. If I'm in Christ, I will be glorified. If I'm in Christ, one day the suffering will end, but it's not going to be now. That's humbling myself under the mighty delivering for us if we're in Christ's hand of God so that at the proper time, which is not now, false teachers say it's now, at the proper time, the great and glorious time, He will exalt you. It's great stuff. This is the time for showing that kind of humility before God which would also show itself in not doing certain things, not complaining, not grumbling, not blaming God, not blaming other people. He's clear enough, this is the time for humility. This is the time, actually, First Peter has emphasized it again and again, where there's suffering and difficulty. We actually even know why. We actually know how it's going to end. So I want to be humbling myself under this great mighty hand of God. And he's going to exalt me in Christ at the right time. This is not the right time. I want it to be the right time. I don't like suffering. I don't like persecution. First Peter's emphasized that a lot. When you're feeling the pressure to maybe turn away from Christ, to turn away from Christ's ways. Remember earlier in First Peter it talked about um, suffering for righteousness sake. I don't want to suffer for anything. I don't want to suffer for righteousness sake. I want my life to be happy and great and grand. But if I'm going to be faithful in response to God's faithfulness to me and His grace to me, I'm humbling myself under His mighty hand. I'm trusting in Him in this in-between time and trusting in Him that He's going to exalt me at the proper time. I want to be exalted now. In fact, I might be able to be exalted now if I don't suffer for righteousness, if I turn my back on righteousness. Maybe the culture around me will exalt me instead of humiliate me. No, I've got to trust God and trust God to deliver me ultimately in the end. Even though I want exaltation and I want exaltation now, what we're talking about is exaltation in the future. I read this week from a, a Christian historian that it used to be that people went to church to understand their misery. But there's been a shift. Now people go to church to become happy. Think about that. It used to be that people would go to church to understand their misery in this time. To have categories, to be able to comprehend, to understand, to sort it out. But there's been a shift, at least according to this historian, and now people come to church and they go to church to become happy. I would suggest to you that First Peter's emphasis and teaching and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ is in this world, in this in-between time, you're not going to be happy. At least not in a definitive, full, complete, unhindered way. 
So let's understand things. Right now, we're in the business of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, we'll be happy. Okay? Right now, I want to understand the brokenness and why it is. I, I, I think my response to the quote is, it seems like we've become functional Christian scientists. Get your mind around that one. I went to school with a girl in high school who came from a family, they were, they were Christian scientists. And I, if you're not familiar with Christian science, it's not Christians who are scientists. Um, it's a religion, okay? And among other things that they teach, and like John MacArthur likes to say, it's like grape nuts, it's neither grapes nor nuts, it's neither Christian nor science, ha ha ha, I use that a lot. Um, do they still make grape nuts? Okay. Now we're way off in the weeds, right? It seems like we've become functional Christian scientists. Um, a girl that I knew, they didn't go to the doctor um, they, because they didn't get sick. And they, there was no such, they didn't have funerals because there's no such thing as death. The problem is they did get sick. And the problem is they do die. But it's like pretending that everything's okay even though things aren't okay. So Christians, it seems, oftentimes, more recently, have drifted into this, let's pretend like everything's okay and happy, 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 happy. When in fact, it's not happy, 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 happy. Life is filled with pain and suffering. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. We've got to understand this to be looking forward to what Christians refer to and the Bible refers to the blessed hope. It's when we see Christ and we're made like Him. Our blessed confidence. Because in this in-between weird time, we're exiles even though we're elect. And that's complicated. And First Peter's trying to help us maneuver and work through this complicated broken time. Verse 7 says, here, here's how we do this. We're humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. And it says in verse 7, don't miss this, this is really helpful. Casting all your anxieties, all of your worries, all of your cares, all of your troubles, casting all your anxieties on Him. On who? The God who is the God we're going to see of all grace, verse 10. Verse 6, He's the mighty God. And so we cast all of our anxieties on Him. Then we keep going on and it says, because He cares for you. So anxiety is real. It's a big blanket term to, to capture whether it's physical suffering, emotional suffering or difficulties, um, spiritual Whatever kind, what do we do? We were to cast our anxieties on Him because He cares. Now, it's true that we should bear one another's burdens. That's biblical. But think about this. No one cares for me the way the God of all grace cares about me. The one who sent His Son to die for me cares about me. And then think about it this way. No, so, so ultimately, ultimately, grandly, 
In the supreme sense, I want to cast all my anxieties on Him. I'm thankful for other people in my life who can help me through my troubles. But it would be bad and wrong for me to assume that the other people in my life can somehow help me the way He helps me. I don't, I don't want that responsibility, and I, nor do I want to put that responsibility on other people. We're, we're all called to care. But it's our Lord who has the big shoulders. <laughs> who can do the heavy lifting of caring in our life like nobody else can care. So, that's part of humbling ourselves under His mighty hand, His caring, delivering hand. In the meantime, in this weird in-between time, filled with anxiety, I've got to go to the Lord and, and trust Him, humbling myself before Him. And again, I'm trying to use it as a catch-all. First Peter has, has emphasized actually a lot of suffering because of persecution. You're suffering for righteousness' sake. And so instead of turning back because you don't like it, because you'd rather be exalted than humiliated, you've got to remember the Lord can be trusted to deliver us ultimately. So in this hard in-between time, we're going to keep casting our cares on Him. He can handle it. He can take it. This is, this is going to mean praying. This is going to mean understanding uh, who He is, understanding who we are, understanding this broken in-between time when we're not glorified. And so we're going to keep giving Him all of our cares. That is so helpful and so important for us. A third important reality about time this is the time for sober-mindedness. This is the time for sober-mindedness. We can do this one rather quickly, I think. Verse 8 says, be sober-minded. wonder how I came up with that outline point, don't you? Aren't you? Be sober-minded. It's a seriousness, right? Clear thinking. How about even clear thinking about the time? Clear thinking about who God is, clear thinking about who you are, clear thinking about this in-between time, that this isn't the new Jerusalem, clear thinking about the fact that there's real conflict, clear thinking about persecution and opposition. Be sober-minded. Sometimes people, you know, I think about the Joker and, the, and Batman. Why so serious? And then you're, you're put down and mocked for being serious. It's pretty serious to suffer. And it's pretty serious to be persecuted. And it's pretty serious to have anxiety. And it's pretty serious to live in this hard time. And everyone in this room is fa facing suffering and death ultimately. That's pretty serious. So be clear thinking about how all of this works. Or you're going to live a messed up life. And you're going to lead others into a messed up life. And then be clear thinking because there are false teachers who quote Bible verses out of context and they'll mess you all up. Be clear thinking. Be sober minded. Then he says, be watchful. So this, this is serious. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So this in-between time isn't a neutral time. It's not a sleeping time. There's come, there will come a day where, where we will enter into ultimate rest. Yes, we're resting in Christ now, but it's, it's not the ultimate rest because we actually have opposition. And here he uses this imagery for Satan that's it's rather graphic. It's rather serious. Some think he's, he's using Satan now to, to, to make the point that 
all of this persecution and opposition that we've been talking about throughout the whole book against righteousness is satanic when it comes to what's behind it all. Right? The God of this world, he's called. The father of lies, he's called. So all of this opposition to righteousness is satanic. And I think that would tend to make sense, regardless of where it's coming from. So we've got to be on the alert. We've got to be paying attention. Verse 8, wow, that, that's, that's pretty serious. Watchful, sober-minded, there's an adversary. He's like a, a devouring lion. And so many Christians are over here and they think the Christian life is the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. My kids are like, you're not going to do that in the sermon, are you, Dad? Yeah, everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. I had to look up that lyric. I didn't know that one off the top of my head. But it's not. But that's kind of how we're taught to be Christians. Functional Christian scientists. Everything is not awesome. Be sober-minded. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Pushing, trying to get you to turn your back on righteousness. The righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of His ways. There's the pressure that's there. Not good. Now, the reality is, we're going to read and, and see in everything we've seen in, Peter, in 1 Peter, if you truly belong to Christ, Satan is not going to ever devour you. He can't devour you. doesn't mean he's not real. It doesn't mean there isn't a real struggle. But ultimately in Christ, he's not going to devour you. But that doesn't mean he's not going to devour people who profess faith and cave under the pressure, being persecuted for righteousness' sake. I remember years ago when I, we would take our kids to the zoo and they were little. I don't remember which one. Probably the one who's in counseling now. I'm kidding. <laughs> but we would go to the zoo and the lions one day were pacing back and forth and the big male lion was in there pacing back and forth in front of the window. And I've got pretty long arms. So I held my, I think it was my oldest daughter. <laughs> She's not here today. <laughs> Held her up to the, right up to the glass. That line's going back and forth. And I would do this just a little bit. And then all of a sudden, right? As if I shouldn't have expected it. It's the, both claws up vertical all the way down. And the hair is up on my arms like it never had been before. And I, who knows what else I did to myself. It was like, oh. Now we have tears and now my wife, is filing for divorce. <laughs> Not really, but it was wild. Really wild. I, and someday I'll tell you stories about the tigers behind the bars outside, but that's going to be for a different sermon illustration. In fact, it might have to be around a fire instead of from a pulpit. But anyway, I digress. But there was no chance that that lion would harm either of us. To be truly in Christ might put you in some scary spots. But ultimately, He will see you through to the very end if you're truly in Christ. And we have that running throughout First Peter. It is, by the way, why we're called an elect exile. 
at the proper time, He will exalt you. It's not He might exalt you if the devil doesn't get you. No, He will exalt you. But it is the time for sober-mindedness. Let's go to number four. Finally, for this morning, this is the time for suffering. This is the time for suffering. I know this is not what you want to hear. What you want to hear is everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. I mean, that's what sells, right? It'll be okay. Well, why are you telling me it'll be okay when ultimately it's not going to be okay? And how do you know it's going to be okay? It's not going to be okay. Unless you're talking about when I see Christ and I'll be made like Him. This is the time for suffering. It says in verse 9, Resist Him, firm in your faith, that would be faith in Christ. Resist Satan, firm in your faith in Christ, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You see what's going on? You resist the devil who wants you to cave in and not be persecuted for righteousness and not suffer for righteousness. You resist him knowing, knowing, just stop and think that Christians around the world have and do suffer for righteousness. It's a, now, maybe at different levels, in different ways, different severities, different circumstances throughout history and in time and space now. But the reality is, people have been against Christ since Christ came. Duh! They crucified Him. He promised that if they oppose me, they will oppose you. Different ways, different levels, different severities, looks different at different times and different places. But the reality is, Peter's saying, you know full well that Christians, wherever they are, are opposed. So, you're in this fellowship together. You stand firm against the devil. I would say stand firm against the devil and, and all who he inspires to say something else. This is a universal reality. It's the common Christian plight in the here and now age. Wherever there are Christians. According to London Reuters, um, just in December... Some two point, uh, excuse me, some, so this isn't from Christianity Today or World Magazine or something like that. This is London Reuters. Some 215 million Christians worldwide faced persecution for their faith last year. It said, with the Christian women and children particularly vulnerable and often subject to sexual violence as a result of their beliefs. Then it went on to say, last year on average 250 Christians were killed every month because of their faith. Now, that's not the world I live in, at least in the United States of America right now. But th those, are, those are staggering numbers. I'm probably not going to experience that. You probably aren't either. But it's for sure happening. 
at very high levels of severity. But you will be suffering for righteousness if you're a Christian, even in Omaha, Nebraska, or wherever you are. It's just how it is. Because you affirm the truth about Jesus, the righteous. Again, I'm drawing on chapter 3. Or you affirm the truth about what he himself taught is true and not true. And you say, I agree with Jesus. And it affects my theology. It affects my understanding of salvation. It understands my influence, uh, my understanding of people. It it, it, um, affects my morals, my ethics. You will suffer for righteousness sake. You will suffer. This is the time of suffering. It's a universal reality. But the problem isn't with Christ. And the problem isn't with you. And the problem isn't with the gospel. The problem is we're living in this in-between time where Christ hasn't returned to bring glory to His people and condemnation upon those who oppose. So don't act like it is or pretend like it is or listen to the talking head or hairdo on TV who says it is. Resist. It's satanic. Then verse 10 says, here's the good side. And after you have suffered a little while, I wrote in my margin, in comparison to about what we're going to hear. Because a little while might be a long time. But in comparison to what he's going to say and what he's going to say is he's going to use eternity words, those kind of timing words. So you're going to suffer for a little while. Right now, this is a little while. Our little chunk of time is a little while. After you've suffered a little while, he wants us to understand this is short. This is not the the long thing. This is not the long haul. This is not the forever. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, so it's the super abundant gift-giving God, the God of all grace who has called you. Who's called you? The God of all grace has called you. It's personal. To his, now see, notice the comparison word, eternal. That's a comparison timing word. To his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's awesome. Then everything will be awesome, right? But you've got to understand the timing. There's this suffering for a little while, and then it's the God who called you, this God of all grace. He himself will restore. He himself will bring the ideas, the healing, the restoration, the reconciliation, the glorification. He himself will do that in your life. So think in those terms. Short-lived now, even though to us it seems like a long time, short-lived now in comparison to glorification forever, you got to keep perspective. It's worth it to be a faithful Christian now, is what he's saying. And then, think in terms of, of, of powers that would be against you if you're Peter. Uh, governing powers who would be against you first century Christians, governing powers who would be against Christians now and persecuting them sometimes, governing authorities, and governing authorities are the ones who have what? Dominion. They dominate. They have 
power. They have authority by virtue of the fact of who they are. They have that. And so Peter picks up on that. So here we have these rulers and authorities who are dominating now. And notice what he does. That God who's going to exalt you to eternal glory in Christ, to Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's a great comparison. It's a great perspective for us. Remember earlier, he's, he's told us we, sh- we should submit to authorities to the best of our ability, to the, to the point where we can, we want to honor that. But it might be that you can't. And those guys seem to always win. And he's helping us see here that in the end, they actually don't win. The God who delivers like in the Exodus is the God of all dominion. And he's for your deliverance if you're in Christ. So hang in there. Continue to do what honors Him, humbling yourself before Him, serving one another, humbling yourself before others in the here and now. Hang in there. And it has a lot to do with timing and understanding. I thought we were going to do the end, but we're not going to do the end. We'll do the end next week. But for now, we should pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for um, some clarity regarding these things. None of us likes to suffer. None of us likes pain. None of us likes opposition and difficulty. So help us to be good, clear-thinking Christians, to understand the times that we live in, to understand the times that are yet to come, and that we wouldn't listen to those who try to say, this is that or that is this. Thank you that the promises are sure in Christ. Please encourage the men and women and boys and girls who are here this morning and who hear this, that they would stand firm, stand firm in the faith because Christ is worthy and Christ is successful and Christ is the resurrected one who can be trusted now and in eternity future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.